Hey, before we get started, we just want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Church Sound Made Simple. Mixing sound seems complicated, but it doesn't have to be. Cut the overwhelm by getting access to the stress-free, no-fluff training that will help you create great sound at church. Visit churchsoundmadesimple.com. Well, welcome to the Collaborate Worship Podcast, where we help you create great sound at church. I'm your host, Cade Young, and today I'm here with Josh Hughesby. How are you doing, man? I am doing well. Yeah, so glad to join you. And even though we're not in the same area of the country, we can join virtually and love it. So it's great. Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, it's awesome. And I'm real glad you're here, man. And for those of you who don't know Josh, I actually met him about five years ago when he was a worship leader right here in my town of Owasso, Oklahoma. He has since moved to North Dakota. So what are you up to now, man? Well, yeah, we moved north. Um, God called us back to North Dakota where we're from and we have family, uh, but we're here in a new season of ministry now planting a church called Missio Church. And so um, just having a blast. I mean, if somebody would have told me that, you know, you're going to try to plant a church during a pandemic, I would have said, yeah, you're crazy. Uh, but God's been with us through it. It's been great. It's been uh, we've seen some amazing things happen already. And yeah, so I'm I'm leading worship in kind of a temporary season, uh, but also doing the groundwork for the church plant so that we can launch later in 2021. So you have have you had your first service yet for the launch? We have not. We'll probably start doing uh, preview services in like January and just kind of ramp up from there. When did it all get started? Like, were you getting started before COVID or after COVID? Well, I mean, I moved to Bismarck in 2019, which would have been, I think it was September, was just before, you know, so we got on the ground here. We were about to start doing some things with the church plant. And then my wife uh, had a back injury, which took her out for nine months. And so she ended up having to have back surgery at 36, having a fusion done. And it wiped us out just as a family. Like it took forever to kind of get through that season. And again, I'm asking God, I'm like, why now? Like we're here to plant a church. What is going on? And then as soon as she started feeling better in February, COVID hit in March. And so it's been a ride. Uh, But God's timing is perfect. And we're just kind of following his lead. So, yeah, it's been an interesting season, but uh, good things are happening and we're not discouraged. So. That's awesome. And I believe there's a reward on the other side of all these trials. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, in every podcast interview, we always like to take a moment to bring a failure out into the open so we can laugh together and learn something along the way. Because the truth is, we all make mistakes. And most people think they're really heavy and that they're the only one making mistakes until they realize that other people make mistakes too. So, Josh, go ahead and fess up. Tell us an embarrassing story. Well, I'll give you two. I'll give you two for the price of one. How about that? Um, Awesome. First one is pretty common. I think anyone who's led worship from the guitar has done this, but you know, you get up and this, this was way back when I was first getting started. We weren't using clicks or tracks or any of that kind of stuff. And I got up and I threw the capo on, started strumming the G and I believe I was in B flat. And then the band came in and they were an A because I had put the capo on the wrong fret. And I just like, there's no recovery. You just have to stop and say, okay, let's try that again. And so I've done that more than once. Uh, And then the other story that I wanna share, just a quick one is, it wasn't really my fault, but it was definitely embarrassing because I had this, I was leading from electric and I had this tube amp. It was like a vintage 70s Fender, you know, I forget what it was, deluxe reverb or something like that. Sounded great. And I had it up on the platform and I had played the set, went down to sit down and pastor was preaching. 
And all of a sudden I hear this noise and then literally a mushroom cloud of smoke comes out of the amp and everybody hears it. Everybody sees it. He stops preaching and he looks at it and it stunk up the whole room like burnt electrical. I had to run up there, turn it off. And, you know, it was the walk of shame. Definitely. Uh, so those kinds of things happen and we're human and it's okay. So it keeps us humble, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so did the amp catch fire? It didn't. Luckily, it didn't catch fire. It just, the power caps just burned up. And then, so I had to take it in and have it rewired. And, you know, the guy went through it, the tech went through it and kind of rebuilt it. But yeah, it was not my my happiest moment in church. <laughs> man, what are the chances of that happening <laughs> during service? I don't know. <laughs> That's crazy, man. Well, thanks for sharing those. But the topic of today's episode is congregational engagement during worship. And I'm sure every worship leader listening right now has at some point looked out at the congregation to just a bunch of blank stares. You know, they're supposed to be singing along and they ain't singing at all. And you know what? That's it's really not any fun at all. It kind of makes you wonder what you're doing wrong. So I'm going to ask you some questions on how we can keep this from happening. So sure. first of all, what do you think is the cause behind all the blank stares? Man, I think that's it's kind of a complex question because you've got a big group of people. And even if it's a small group, you've got a lot of different scenarios, right? I think there are probably some common ones, though, that we could address as worship leaders to try to hit the mass. Because we, obviously, we don't know if someone's going through a personal crisis or something. But I think a lot of it goes back to just being a good host and remembering the role as worship leader. Like, why are we up there? You know, why are we up there in the first place? And the point is for us to point people to God. And so we want to host a gathering in an environment in a way that we help people do that. And we don't get caught up on like making it our personal platform or our, you know, whatever. We want people to look at us, hear us how good we are. Um, so I think when people, they kind of sniff that out. Like if you get up there and you're not really there to serve them, not really there to lead them so that they can connect with God, people aren't dumb. Like they, they sniff it out pretty quick. I, I've, I've realized it. And it's like, so you just can't, you can't fake your way through it. You just got to be, be there to serve. And, and I think that's probably one of the biggest ones is that when someone walks into your church and you get up there and you start doing the thing, you know, leading, leading the music or whatever, they're going to evaluate pretty quickly. Is this something that I'm being invited into, or is this something I'm here to watch? Man, that's so true. And I think that like many times we don't even do it on purpose. Like when we kind of, we just kind of get caught up in everything else that you have to do to lead worship. You know, you got to know how to play your instrument, memorize the lyrics and keep the team all together and all of that stuff. And that can just kind of like overtake your thoughts and your mind. And so you end up performing and forgetting that you're there to serve people. Yeah. Yeah. And it is a, it is a hard thing. Like it's not easy to lead worship. There's a lot of things that you're thinking about, but uh, at the end of the day, you know, I, I catch myself all the time still after years of doing this full time is like, I got to serve the people. I got to remember it's about helping them connect with God. It's not just about nailing that, that break with the band or making sure that electric guitar part is there. And don't get me wrong. I'm all about like doing our best and, and ha you know, trying to, to dial it in. So there's not a bunch of distractions. We're not a sloppy worship band, but man, there's, there's that element of like, it's a bigger, it's a bigger thing that we realize we're a part of and that God is, is there. He wants to connect with people and we can either facilitate that or we can get in the way of that, depending on how we portray, you know, ourselves from the platform. 
Yeah, good stuff. And I kind of have a theory that I want to just run by you and then get your honest thoughts on it. So it's like we rehearse as if the Holy Spirit wasn't going to be there to help us during the service. But then once we're in the service, we just rely on the Holy Spirit and we rest in everything that we've done. Like we're not thinking about that guitar part or any of that anymore. Like what you're thinking about during rehearsal, you don't think about during the service. How do you feel about that? Man, I think you you hit the nail on the head and it's a little bit convicting too, right? As worship worship leaders or worship teams, because do we believe that God wasn't there during rehearsal, like you said, and that he only shows up once the service starts? No, that's that's ridiculous. We would never say that. But we kind of act that way. Like we we live that out in, in practice that, yeah, we got this, we got this. And then, okay, now God, now we need you. But yeah, you're totally right. And and I think there's a way to, to kind of counteract that when we we start to live, you know, have a, a culture of worship within our church to where we acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is present even in rehearsal. And, and people actually worship in rehearsal. And I know that's kind of a, it's a little sticky sometimes because we, we're, we're in so much on the technical side and we want to make sure we know the song, we know the progression, we know the, the changes and everything, you know, and you don't want to be that guy who's like, you know, doesn't know the song, but he's just got his eyes closed and hands raised, you know, during rehearsal because there's a tension there, right? We want to know the song. We want to know the mechanics of it, but there's still the spiritual component that's always there. And I think that's where going home and practicing and knowing your parts helps you come to rehearsal and actually be able to worship at rehearsal because you're not learning the song for the first time when you're gathering with people. You've done that at home in your bedroom or whatever. Man, that brings up a valid point because I'm always telling my team, it's like when you come to rehearsal, like you should already know your song. You should already know your lyrics. Like you should already have that stuff nailed down. Rehearsal is just about bringing all these pieces together and making sure that we're all cohesive and everything's working together. Very true. Very true. Yeah, good stuff, man. And I think this is kind of like one of the hidden causes of, even though it's the main cause, it's kind of hidden because it's not something we think about. We're always thinking about, well, if they're not engaging, maybe it's because I chose the wrong song or, or this or that. We're thinking all through all these practical things, but we probably haven't taken the time to think about, you know, it's probably because I'm not coming at this with the right mindset. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I think that's where it starts. I mean, I do think there are other factors, like you said, with song choice. I mean, song choice does matter. And if you pick new songs every week that nobody's ever heard, like maybe the original stuff that you wrote, and that may be great songs, but if just from a practical standpoint, if no one's ever heard it or it's from some obscure worship team that nobody knows about, it's pretty tough for them. Like they're, then they're in that constant like learning mode in the worship gathering. They're like, okay, I'm trying to jump in. I'm trying to learn this melody. I'm trying to read the, the words on the screen. And it becomes almost like new song fatigue to where they might be worshiping at kind of a surface level because they're trying to join in with you but you haven't given them a chance to really go deeper because it's something that they know and they don't have to think about so much. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's good. And I think it leads into my next question because when we do a lot of new songs, it might make people feel isolated, especially like new people because they're having to learn like all the songs that we're doing. So what's something that we can do to help people from feeling isolated during worship? Man, you know, I, I, I got to share experience. I, I came to, the church that I'm at now, the sending church. When I first came here, I wasn't leading worship. I was on staff as the church planner. Right. And I came in and I didn't know any of the songs and like, I'm a worship pastor. And I'm like, how is it that I don't know any of the songs they're doing, 
but they were just in a little bit different vein of stuff. They were finding, you know, they were good songs, but, and it really opened my eyes to be like, I feel super uncomfortable right now. Even as a professional worship leader, I don't know what's going on. So like, how do we expect someone who walks into our church, who's like either a not yet believer or someone who's new to church or whatever, you know, there is, there is a bit of a, a bridge to jump over there. And I don't know. So in that case, if, if they're new to the church, I don't know if there's a way to really fix that per se, but I think each church does have a repertoire of songs that they do and having enough of a rotation to where the regular people, the people that are coming back week after week kind of get on board and, and, you know, you find that rhythm of like, how many new songs can we do a month? What's the right number of songs so that we keep people from feeling like an outsider? You know, we want that balance between fresh and familiar, right? If you go too far one way or the other, if you go too far to the familiar side, well, now all of a sudden it's boring and everybody's just like, oh, this song again. But if we go to the the fresh side, then everybody's like, new song fatigue, I'm out. I'm not going to sing. I don't know what this is. Yeah, and I feel like in modern worship, the new song fatigue issue is more of an issue than the getting too old. Like I remember my childhood church, I didn't go there for like 10 years. And then I went back to visit like 10 years later and they were still singing the same songs. And I was like, wow. So, I mean, there are, you know, churches out there that are struggling, you know, to introduce the new songs. But I think most of the case, in most of the churches that I go to today, like, I think it's the, the pressure to do so many new songs or whatever is just maybe a pressure that doesn't even need to be there. Cause honestly, like most of the people listening right now know that I'm not a worship leader anymore. I'm a lead pastor at my church. I've been the lead pastor for two and a half years now. And so now I'm like in the congregational side of this leading worship thing. Mm-hmm. And the worship team, uh, the worship leader is my brother. My wife's on the worship team. So I still have a close connection with the worship team. And they're always thinking, you know, we're, we've done that song too many times. And it's like, well, from the congregational side, like, I don't feel like it's worn out at all. Like you could actually do it more often. <laughs> I kind of miss that song. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a great point, you know, that as from the platform, if you're leading, if you're up there leading, how many times have you played those songs, right? Like over and over in rehearsal and you get to the point you're, you've wore it out way before the congregation has. And so that goes back to serving the people. Am I willing to say and be objective and say, okay, I'm sick of, you know, whatever this song is, raise a hallelujah or something, but the congregation is just getting it. So Maybe we'll do it for a little while. And, and I think that's the connection between the worship pastor and the lead pastor. You could have some great conversations about that to say, you know, or a few people that you trust that are in the congregation that will give you honest feedback and just say, hey, what do you think of this song? And if they say, man, don't ever play Good, Good Father again because I'm, it's dead to me, <laughs> you know, then maybe we should pay attention. Uh, but yeah, I think you're right that from the platform, you know, the worship, the musicians get tired of songs way quicker than the average person who's just wanting to connect with the Lord. They're just wanting to like sing and and enjoy the song, you know? Yeah. And you talked about it earlier about how song selection does play a part in engagement. So you think the whole song fatigue thing, maybe more times than not boils down to the fact that you're trying to push the wrong song for your congregation over and over and over and over. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. So it's not only that it's too many new songs, it could be the wrong song. And and I, I'd say that, man, just as a as an exhortation to any worship leader out there, not every song is going to work for your people, for your congregation. And that's okay. And there have been songs that I've tried to like push, you know, to my congregation because I loved it. It was like my favorite song was my jam. 
And I got up there to lead it and it just flopped. And it's like, okay, first time, first time. And you do it again the next week. And then again, and like after five or six times when everybody's still like staring at you again with the blank, you know, stare, you just have to bail on it and say, okay, maybe this song isn't a good fit for our congregation. So that's okay, right? There's so many songs out there. There's so much music. And that's one of the cool things about the time we live in is there's more music to choose from and lots of good music. Yeah, that's true. And <laughs> I can definitely relate to like, whenever you have your favorite song, you take it to the church, you know, they're going to love it. And then they don't. <laughs> and I, I know that happens a lot for my brother too, who's the worship leader now, because he loves elevation and almost every elevation song he tries to introduce to our church just falls flat. Mm-hmm. But then there's like church of the Highlands. I don't know if you've heard of them. Yep. They have an album out and pretty much we do like three so- three or four songs on that album. And everyone has been like a heavy hitter in our church. Like the church just falls in love with it. They engage and it's good stuff. So have you found that to be true at your church too, that your church often connects with like a, a certain artist? Yeah, I think so. You know, I don't think I try to mix it up with a lot of different artists. So I don't typically run in one vein too much. And mainly because I believe that our congregation is diverse And there's a lot of people there that kind of have different flavors and different, you know, whatever. They're kind of connect with different music. So I try to mix it up. But yeah, definitely. And I think just for an example, like, um, you know, the young and free stuff may not go over in every church. You know, depending on the demographics of your people, if you've got an elderly population and you're up there, you know, trying to do young and free with like this synthy pop thing. You may love it and it may work super good in in the, the student ministry, but in big church, it just might not connect the same way. And and so I've seen that. Yeah. And in definitely different churches gravitate towards different musical styles. But I kind of like to switch it up and keep them guessing a little bit, too, because there's so much good stuff out there. That's awesome. What are like the top three songs right now hmm. for you? I've been doing um, Hallelujah for the Cross. Um, Chris, is it McClarney or Clarney? I think it's, yeah, that guy. There's multiple versions of it, but I've been doing that one. Um, We've been doing You Keep Hope Alive. Um, Church of the City, I believe, does that one. Uh, And then we've been doing, we've been doing some Christmas tunes. And I always come back to Shane and Shane on Christmas tunes because I love their arrangements. And it's like, even some of the ones that are a few years old, we just, we keep doing them because I just, I don't know. I love the way they arrange their stuff. So that's good stuff. Have you ever heard a uh, Kim Walker's Christmas album? Uh, is it a couple years old? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. She has a version of silent night. That's like written in four, four instead of three, four. And it just like, we do it almost every year. Just it's so awesome. Sorry. You just made me think of that. I'll probably, <laughs> go, go, I'll probably go grab that one for, for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff. All right, man. Another question for you. How, how can we encourage people who who can't sing, like they can't carry a tune to still participate in worship? That is the age old question, right? You got the plumber in the third row who just says, I don't, I don't do music. I don't sing. I don't, I don't know. Like for me, I've, I've just tried to do teaching and come back to, to the Bible because like, the Psalms weren't written only to musicians, right? Like that whole book, like over and over, we're told to praise the Lord, to to use song. And the Bible says to make a joyful noise, not necessarily a joyful melody. Like, so even somebody who's tone deaf 
can praise God because it isn't about how good can we make the congregation sound? I mean, yeah, we talk about the congregations like a choir and everybody's singing together, but it's not at the heart of it. Worship is about the individual worshiper's heart being open to God. And so, yeah, I, I feel like it's a bit of a discipleship thing to say, okay, sorry, bro. I understand that you don't want to worship, but you need to worship because it's essential to who God's made you to be. Like we're made to give him glory. And one of the ways is through song. And again, it doesn't in the Bible, it doesn't say if you're good at singing, praise the Lord. It just says, praise the Lord. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, yeah. Good stuff, man. All right, let's do a quick recap. If somebody listening right now is just really struggling with congregational engagement, like what's the one thing that you would tell them to go do after this podcast? Hmm. So I think where it starts is relationship. And if you're a worship leader who doesn't know your people and you're getting up on the platform every week and you haven't got to know the names of the people who are out there, start there, start shaking hands. I mean, I know it's COVID, maybe fist bumping or trying trying to get to know them as people because if they respect you and you have a bit of a relational bond between the two of you, when you get up on the platform and you invite them in, now all of a sudden they feel like, oh yeah, I know that guy. He's my worship leader. Instead of like, oh, there's that guy that gets up and sings in high keys and I can't follow him. You know, like there, there's a relational component. I, I would say start there. There's a lot of technical things that you can do too. But I think that's probably the big one. And, and just remember why you're there. You're there to serve. Man, this has been so good. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today, man. What's the best way for people to stay connected with you? Um, with me? I mean, you can jump on Facebook, uh, Josh Husaby, or Instagram, jhusaby1. Um, if you want to connect with me through that, that's great. Um, otherwise, yeah, I mean... Awesome. What if they want to follow your church planting process? How would they follow that? Um, we are on, man, I don't have the handles right in front of you. Or Missio Church. And if you go to my pages, then you, you can find it. Um, but Missio Church Bismarck is, I believe, one of them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we'll hopefully have more stuff coming out on social media, more content and, and stuff like that. But we'd love to have you follow us. And, uh, yeah, we're just getting started. So we know God's going to do great things. And, you know, it's it's a big family. It's a big kingdom. So whether you're in Oklahoma or North Dakota or some other state, like it's amazing that we get to be a part of this thing called the kingdom. So yeah, love to have you, you know, follow along and see what God's doing up here. And I'd love to connect with you over social media too. So that's awesome. Well, you guys don't miss this opportunity to connect with Josh. And as always, thanks for being with us. We need your help to get this podcast out to everybody who needs it. So please leave us a rating and a review on whatever platform you're listening on. And don't forget to subscribe so we can let you know when the next episode comes out. Go implement what you learned in this podcast and we'll catch you next time.